Hey y'all, it's Rachel from Smarter Teaching, here to share a latte and give you all the tools you'll need to work smarter, not harder, in your classroom. Hi teachers, me again. Uh, I'm finally back after three months, four months of hiatus. Um, I became a bit of a hermity ball when we were on lockdown. I think a lot of people did. Um, But... I want to share with you today five tips to save time during your school day. Um, I know that there is a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, People aren't sure when they're going back. People aren't sure if they'll be back in classrooms, if they will be doing distance learning again, if they'll be doing some combination of the two. Um, I just, I think that some districts are starting to kind of lay out a plan, but I think that for a lot of people, there is still a lot of uncertainty, but I'm hopeful, confident that one day we will be back in our classrooms, even if it's not the first day of school. Um, So I just wanted to share with you today a few time savers so that when you are back in your classroom, we can be as productive as possible. Um, We all know how precious time is in our classroom. So I'm going to share five tips today to help you save time during your school day. Two of these tips will be designed to use with students and three of them will be designed more for um, planning periods and teacher meetings. So the first thing I want to talk about is classroom timers. Um, This might sound like a major duh moment, but using a timer saves me so much time. Not only in my classroom, but also just kind of in my general life. I'll often say, let's work on this for 10 minutes and then just kind of follow my heart, especially if I'm working with kids or even with my own children with we're like cleaning up toys or something. I'll just get distracted and if I don't have a timer on I end up looking at my watch or I look up the clock and I realize it's been 15 minutes or 20 minutes when I said we were going to do this for 10 and um I moderately panic (laughs) setting a timer up front helps keep everyone accountable um and I've also sometimes will also set an alarm a timer for instruction um I can be a bit of a talker and sometimes I end up with too much instructional time and we all know that when you have uh when your lessons go on a little too long you can just get those negative ripples right kids are losing their focus they're having a hard time paying attention they're kind of losing the bigger point um So sometimes I will just make set a timer to make sure I'm really getting in and out of my lessons in um, kindergarten and first grade within 10 minutes. Obviously, older grades can stay with you for a little bit longer, Um, but we want to make sure that we're teaching kids things specifically and intentionally, um, which is really a different point, so I'm not going to dive into that. I'm just saying... I don't always set timers for um, instruction, but I almost always set them for any type of work activity. Even if we don't clean up the first time it goes off, um, you know, sometimes it might be like a touch point, you know, we're going to work on this for 10 minutes. Oh, everybody needs two or three more minutes to be able to finish. Okay, let's do that, right? Um, Or no one is close to finishing, we'll clean up and come back to it later or tomorrow or whatever. Um, for me, 
I almost always use an alarm on my cell phone as a timer, but of course you could use a stopwatch, um, a digital timer, um, an egg timer. I mean, you have a lot of choices. What I do always try to keep consistent is the tone that the alarm makes so that it's something they um, know to listen for. They're not, um, it's the same sound every time. So that kind of helps them if they're working, if they're involved in something else, it kind of helps trigger that response. Um, at the beginning of the school year, I will teach my students what they should do when they hear a timer in our classroom so that they have, they know they are hearing a consistent sound and that there's always a cons also a consistent expectation of what they should do when they hear that timer, when they hear that sound. Um, so like I said, in kindergarten and in first grade, that routine looked like um, hearing the timer, putting down their materials, putting their hands on their shoulders, which is really just an extra piece of accountability because you know there's always those kids who want to keep working and then they put their eyes on me and we decide what we'll do from there you know whether it's clean up whether it's work for a few more minutes um whatever it is but th that's the routine for when they hear a timer in kindergarten and first grade um it takes a little bit of practice at the start of the school year but by mid-september they're totally pros and it helps everyone stay on track and it helps our day run so much more smoothly. The other thing I do with my students is I push um, as much responsibility to them for cleanups and transitions as possible. Um, so what that means is that instead of me trying to, while they're cleaning up, chase them around or like chase around the classroom and pick up all the scraps of paper, if we were just cutting something or pick up pencils, um, I will have four or five kids doing that for the whole classroom. So, you know, everyone is potentially, say, um, putting away their scissors, putting away their pencil, and putting their work somewhere. You know, maybe you have one student walking around and collecting papers and then putting them in the right folder. And then you have another kid, maybe one kid at each table, um, looking around for bigger scraps of paper that miss the trash can or you're having one kid collect glue sticks um i just when you can get more children more students cleaning up that's freeing you up for things that you really need to be you really really need to be doing during that 60 to 90 seconds two minutes of cleanup time um are six and seven year olds really going to clean up as effectively or as efficiently as me? No, probably not. But pushing the responsibility to them, A, over time they're going to get better at it. But also B, it's giving me time. You know, maybe there's a kid that I need to talk to. There's um, a, a note that I need to write. I mean, whatever, those, those things that then I have two minutes to do those things instead of make sure that everyone's glue stick has a lid, right? Those are things that, I mean, they might need help if there's a missing lid, but getting up all of the glue sticks, collecting the scissors, um, you know, a quick sweep of the floor or wipe of the table, those are things that kids in first grade, in kindergarten, in every grade level really can do. Um, and so the more that students can do, the less that I 
have to do for them and the quicker we can move on to whatever else it is that we have to do together. All right, so now I wanna talk about meetings that teachers have. Uh, there are very few things that were more frustrating to me when I was a teacher um, than having meetings with other teachers, with your coaches, with administrators, and then leaving the meeting or having the meeting end without having accomplished the goal of the meeting. Um, I just, it's not a great feeling. Um, so pre when pre in a previous school, um, as a school, we um, set two norms to help us avoid this scenario that really honestly, when people, when our administrators told us about them, I felt like they were terrible ideas, but I'm old enough and mature enough to admit when I was wrong and I was totally wrong on both of these counts. They both saved us a ton of time and really helped us to be more productive in the end. Um, so the first thing that we did during meetings was to um, dedicate space for questions. So instead of people just asking questions as they came to them, we would either have um, a spot, like a, a piece of chart paper where you could jot a question um, or there would be post-its where you could write a question down or um, you could write them down like on your own notes and then um, email them if someone was like in charge of taking minutes or something like that if it was you know like a IEP meeting or something um so having a, a way to collect questions during the meeting and then loop back to them either in the last few minutes of the meeting um either by getting answers via email whatever it was but just taking those questions instead of having them like constantly pop up and then maybe potentially distracting from really the task at hand or um, getting really involved in like a personal question, like a personal application or something that isn't necessarily relevant to the group. It just allowed everyone to be more focused on what was happening in the meeting. And then questions would be rounded up and answered um, later. Either, like I said, at the end of the meeting or sometimes it was after the meeting, um, depending on the meeting. Sometimes it was even at the beginning of like a, like a follow-up or a subsequent meeting. Um, but it was, like I said, it was helpful because everyone can be more focused on what's going on. And you know these questions are going to be answered, just not like in the exact moment that you're asking them. The second thing that we um, implemented that I was even more against than <laughs> um, holding on to our own questions that, but um, was using um, protocols to discuss student work. So I thought this would feel fake and artificial, um, but what we did is used protocols with specific steps and attached timeframes, and you can honestly find them just by Googling. Um, so we but we would use um these protocols had like specific steps and then they had a set time like an amount of time attached to them so for example um if we were in an sst meeting which was the acronym that my previous school used for um uh like bringing concerns about students um so it was like teachers coaches um grade level special educators so it's like a team meeting. So um, in in those types of situations, you would the teacher who was presenting the work the 
student or the concern might get, say, two to three minutes to um, explain the context, you know, um, the assignment, the directions, the concerns that they have, and then teachers get five minutes to kind of like check out the work products and ask questions. And then there's 10 minutes for um, recommendations or next steps. I mean, that's not like exactly every single step of the actual protocol, but there's a variety of choices available. But what was really helpful was having the time frame attached to each step. So it took a little bit of, um, it took some time to get used to. Uh, humans can be chatty and sometimes, you know, uh, like rabbit holes pop up and you want to ask questions about one thing. And then two minutes later, you're talking about something totally different. And so these protocols really would help us to stay focused and um, make sure that we're getting done what we set out to get done, right? Like it, it gives us um, a defined and narrow focus so that we are making sure that we're get, uh, achieving the goal. We're setting out what our meeting is about and then we're actually getting that done. And then if you're finished early, right, then you can have those side conversations. Um, you can m finally maybe move on to something else. Um, but you're moving through your agenda in a, a set and focused way um, so that you really, like I said, you're really sticking to the agenda and you're really achieving the goal of the meeting. Um, aside from teacher meetings, um, I have blogged about this before and I will yell about this from the tops of school buildings until my dying day. Be intentional with your planning time. Yes, teachers have a lot of meetings. Yes, sometimes they are annoying. Yes, sometimes they just pop up. Sometimes other mild to moderate emergencies pop up. But make your plan for your planning periods first. Then it's so much easier to rearrange when crap, sorry, inevitably pops up after the fact. If you have your plan first, then you can easily rearrange, drop something in at another time. As opposed, I guess what I'm really saying less articulately is be proactive rather than reactive. So what I mean is um, I would suggest a batch schedule for your planning periods. So for example, maybe on Monday you work on um, a newsletter or um, you uh, maybe get materials for your read-alouds for the week or something, right? You have a set goal that you're trying to accomplish on Mondays during your planning periods. Maybe on Tuesday and Wednesday, you're planning for small groups. On Thursday, you're grading. And on Friday, you're running copies for the following week. So that's probably like this ideal schedule probably isn't going to happen every single week. Um, but if you create the goals or you create the intentions for your planning period ahead of time, you'll be more likely to actually use your planning time to achieve these goals. Um, what's more, I would encourage you to not be afraid to hide during your planning periods. And what I mean is um, guard that time, right? That time is given to you to plan during school. 
And I'm going to be the first to admit that I love to talk to people. I love to hang out with them. I love to chat with my coworkers. And for a couple of years, I probably used several planning periods a week just doing that. But actually getting stuff done during your planning period feels so much better. And if you're getting more stuff done at school, that's less that has to be done outside of school or outside of your contract hours. And everyone still has a life outside of school. And when you're getting more done at school, you have more time for the things you want to do outside of school. So don't be afraid to say, oh, I would really love to chat with you, but you know, I need to go grade these papers. Or um, it was great to, you know, I, I wish I had more time to talk, but I have to, you know, plan for my guided reading groups. Don't be afraid to say those things to your coworkers. You need, if you don't guard your time and if you don't make your planning periods a priority, then obviously no one else will either. Um, so like I said, obviously there will be things that come up, but if you have a plan of things to do every day during your planning period, you will be able to get more done and you'll be able to react um, more quickly. You'll be able to do a better and more productive pivot when things inevitably come up. All right, teachers, here is my last time-saving tip for the 2020 school year. Sending clear and direct emails. It's really annoying to just send emails that fall into the ether, whether it's to administrators, to parents, to coworkers. Um, So in order to get your emails answered, I would be as clear and direct as possible. Uh, The best way to do this is by putting your question or whatever the point of your email is, put it first, then add any details that are relevant, and then end by asking specifically for what you want, whether it's a response, a meeting, um, materials, whatever it is that you want, end by asking for that. So it's very easy to just kind of send these chatty emails, um, hope you're doing well, believe the blah, 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 thanks, Rachel, but if you structure them where you're putting your the thing that you want, like the question or your point or whatever you're after first, then adding details, then ending with what you want, you're, you get better and quicker responses. So instead, so for example, say you're sending an email to um, an administrator asking about uh, there's, you know, a couple kids who have been absent repeatedly and you guys have a data deadline and you just haven't been able to get their assessments done because they're out. So instead of just sending an email with all of those, with that question, like lumped in with everything, I would suggest sending an email worded something like this. Hi, the blah, blah, blah. How should we accommodate students who have been absent during testing? I have three students who have missed X days of school and have been unavailable for assessments. Please let me know what we should do to assess these students. Thanks, Rachel. You want to lead with your question, whatever the point of your email is. Then give the details and end with a clear indication of what you're after. I also, when I send emails like this, am normally using space. um, Like I'm normally not sending it as one large paragraph. Normally I will have a greeting space out my question, like lead with the question and then have like a line break before I'm giving details and then another line break before I ask for what I want. And then I just 
and say like thanks or best or whatever with my name. This has been really helpful to me with parents, administrators, and coworkers. Um, I just think people get so many emails that you're more likely to get responses when you are clear and direct. Whew, that was a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope that at least one of these time savers is helpful to you in the upcoming school year. I will be back in two weeks on the third Thursday with some book reviews. Uh, like I said at the top, I became kind of a hermity ball during our lockdown. I didn't podcast. I, I mean, I barely did. I did like the bare minimum to have exist as a human. So I have, I think about five or six books to review, but I'm not going to do them all in one episode. Um, in July on the third Thursday, I will be reviewing before we, we were yours by Lisa Wingate, winter garden by my girl, Kristen Hannah and the Dutch house by Ann Patchett. Stay safe, stay cool, stay healthy and enjoy your summer. See you soon. Bye.